0: Yeah, yeah. and enemies, lovers, and haters. Welcome to Sends and Suffer's podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. If you haven't already, please follow, like, and subscribe to Sends and Suffer's podcast. Every bit counts and we would love to hear from you. So take a moment to leave a comment. These go a long way and help others know what they're getting into and how good this show is. If this is one of your favorite podcasts, consider becoming a Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you are investing in Sends and Suffers podcast. And it's like buying your boy a taco, hanging out, and getting to know the good good that is coming your way. Monthly recaps, early show releases, and all the other cool things that we do. Thank you so much for listening to Sends and Suffers podcast. The official sponsor of Sends and Suffers podcast is Organic Climbing. From Crash Pads, Chalk Buckets, Chalk Bags, Fanny Packs, their drip is on fire. And let me tell you with absolute utter certainty in my voice, there is no greater feeling when you are coming down from your highball, all the heavens above. Let me tell you of seeing an organic crash pad underneath your feet, you will rise to the occasion or feel comfortable coming down from that occasion. Use sends and suffers in your next purchase, get 10% off, and support someone who supports this podcast. Organic climbing is really, honestly, one of the best companies in the climbing industry as a whole. So let's get into our episode today. Mr. Alan Watts, the man, the myth, the legend. I mean, some people call him the godfather of sport climbing in America. But I would say he's just a man that loves rock climbing. And he needs rock climbing more than rock climbing needs him. And that's a beautiful thing because he knows where he finds joy in his life. I want you to enjoy this episode with Alan Watts. When I was at CWA earlier this year, him and I had a chance to sit down and have a chat about his life, climbing and what he's seen and where he sees it going. Please enjoy this episode of Sense and Suffer's podcast with Alan Watts. Alan, how are you? I'm doing well. All right. Welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I'm excited to talk
1: to you. Today. I am very excited too. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm not going to assume that everyone knows who you are, where you're from and what you've done. So who are you, where are you from? And I guess what is your connection to the outdoors and to CWA of what we're doing here?
1: Yeah, I've, I've been around for a long time. Um, my name is Alan Watts. I've been climbing for almost 50 years, actually rock climbing. I live in Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. I live in Bend, Oregon now, just um, about 45 miles from where I grew up, about 20 miles from Smith Rock. And so okay. most of my climbing life has been centered around the climbing at Smith Rock. And okay. I've traveled all over and worked in the industry, um, got out of the industry, you know, but climbing has continued to just be a, a common thread for most of my life. Okay. Okay. I didn't even know. Um, I'm here with Edelrid just kind of as an ambassador. And when Blair asked me about coming to the show, I'll have to admit I did not even know the show existed. So. CWA <laughs> is kind of like, it's, it's the niche within niche of rock climbing. I mean, it makes sense that it had to exist because cl- climbing walls and climbing gyms that, you know, Exploding. exploded so much. And I, I left the industry. Um, I was founder and, uh, president of entreprise until 1997. And so I hadn't been to a trade show since 1997 and to be gone for that long. And all of a sudden just come back 25 years later and look around. It's like, Oh my God, what, what has happened? Cause you know, there were like three or four hold companies maybe back then. And now there's 34, or even more than that here. Wow. I didn't know you founded entreprise. What, like, what started that? Um, well, Entreprise already existed in France. Okay, and we were—I was working for Metolius um, mm-hmm. in in Bend, and we started along with a couple partners. We started uh, the U.S. division of Entreprise, which was okay. just called Entreprise USA in 1988. And trying to, you know, we had there—we we each chipped in some money, and the French partners chipped in the molds and the technology. Uh, And so we had these holds and we started making holds and entire climbing wall systems, panel systems that would fit together and tried to sell them to people back before there was a time where anybody knew what climbing walls were. And, And usually the main question you'd get would be why, what climbing walls for, you know, why would, and nobody even knew what it was. That makes sense. So it was kind of a tough business and, there were just starting to be climbing gyms, but they were all do it yourself sort of things. Uh, the earliest climbing gyms didn't even have modular holds. You know, they were just rocks glued on like the vertical, oh, I remember that. vertical world. And, and so, yeah, the industry didn't exist. And um, it, was, it was tough for, you know, it, it, the climbing gyms were small. All the early climbing gyms, people, they struggled. They weren't, you know, they were people, it was a labor of love. I'd have friends who would say, Hey, I'm starting a climbing gym in Eugene. And I'd always feel like giving them a hug, like, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> going to be tough, you know? Oh my God. But, and so then I left in 97 and my French partner, he left also. So everybody that was there from the very start at Entreprise, we all went our separate ways and okay. it was acquired by another company. And then I don't know exactly when it happened. I've been asking people like, when did climbing, like when did it take off? When did, when did it just explode like climbing gyms? Cause now it's, it's just snowbird. unbelievably massive. I would
0: say snowbird. Snowbird when? Snowbird, the, when they had the last competition that they had outdoors. And I think it was snowbird. I think the X games may have been a part of that, but it was like the wall was strapped onto the side of a hotel building. Yeah, and
1: I did, I set routes for the first snowbird. The last one that, that ever was, happened. I think 1988 when I, I did that.
0: So like the last one happened, I think in the late nineties, okay. that was when Tommy and Hans were both like still competing in it. And I mean, I think that's when, correct me if I'm wrong, but like I, it was either that event or maybe something right before that or after that. But like it was covered by X games, which was also put out by ESPN.
1: Right. I remember and from that, that
0: moment, I think that's when the tide shifted because it was it, by no means it, it. The, I I believe whatever event I'm thinking about and I might not be right, but that's when it turned into a trickle, but like a little trickle from a faucet into like a steady, small, consistent stream because from that moment on, like you hear of things cause then from that moment on, you hear of all kinds of crazy things. Like I think shortly a year after that, Chris Sharma blew up. He was in, you know, men's magazine. He was in GQ and Rolling Stones. Sure. Yeah. Then you had like, uh you started having people. I mean, I think that's also too, when like I, a lot more climbing films started coming out. I mean, this was like, you know, I think no return to sender
1: is older than that. Um, I mean, probably early 2000s, maybe I met Chris in 1997 when he was 16 years old. At, at yeah. Smith's so I would and, probably
0: say early 2000s yeah. because yeah, cause that's when like USA climbing and everything was like really starting to pick up steam and like right. these climbing organizations. And that's when you start having gyms. So like, yeah, probably the early 2000s. But I think that last event, because there's like so many moments that I've talked to people over the years that trace it back to around snowboard or some kind of outdoor competition that was really picked up because I I just remember some, I can't, I wish I remember who I was talking to. It's not someone I've done a podcast with, but they were talking about, yeah, it was climbing. It was like snowboarding and skateboarding or skateboarding and some other thing else. And I'm like, Oh, it was the X game. And so they're like, no, I don't think it was the X game, but it was something that was publicized. And to you, what you just said, it was like around then in the two thousands, like it just like started exploding. And yeah. it just, <clears throat> I, I don't think, I, I don't think it hit its heyday until Around 2010. And then that's yeah. like when things got insane. And that, in
1: 1997, when I left the industry, I had a four year old son. My daughter was born that, in 1997. And my life just went a complete different direction. Oh, wow. I, I had yeah. started climbing at Smith Rock in 75. And so I'd already put in 20 more than a 20 year career of climbing, first a traditional climber and then developing sport climbing in the United States at Smith and then working in the industry. And I was just kind of done. It was like, "Hey, this was great." I, um, but I don't, I don't think the climbing gym industry is is really ever going to go anywhere. <laughs> I just guessed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I was not right. No, and uh, thank God you didn't gamble on that one. <laughs> and and really, so I was doing completely different things. Didn't pick up a climbing magazine for probably a decade, and then I started to. Uh, I, I released another guidebook to Smith Rock, and I, I was just kind of getting there was, there was a gym in Bend where I live. That was a pretty good gym. And I just kind of started going back and, you know, I was like falling off a five ten, climbing at the gym after being away for so long. And I'd put on a bunch of weight and, uh, and then I realized I'm having just as much fun, even though I, I suck right now. I'm having just as much fun climbing as I ever did before. So I started, I came back into like, okay, what's going on with climbing now. And I, I just was kind of blown away by just when I first realized like, whoa, this thing has become a thing, a big thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Rock climbing is a thing. I, I'll say that when I started my career, you know, I started in a gym that was a glorified Woody and you know, it was dirty, polished walls. There was no texture.
1: And that's every gym started that way. Yeah. You know, back in the nineties and the early gyms were all just, they were not nice.
0: Yeah. I remember like when we would reset routes, like we would drop the entire rope side and the bouldering side and swap holds. So the routes would seem really new. Like we could drop the whole gym. Like when I very, very, very first started, we could drop the whole gym and reset the whole thing in a day. And it's like, cause there was only like maybe five routes on per wall. And I remember when we spent like $5,000 on holds and we, and people were looking at us like, you guys have nine routes per wall, 10 routes per wall. It's like so crowded. <laughs> and now you look at it, there's like 14 routes. Sure. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, our gym holds a cons- consistent of 2000 routes all the time. And I'm like, <laughs>
1: it's a different world. But yeah, you are you are correct. Climbing is, is utterly exploded. Yeah, and- it's been pretty cool for me just being uh, like from the early seventies to, to now. I mean, cause I've seen, I mean, oh, when yeah. I was starting to climb, it was, There was not even any sport climbing, certainly no competitions. There was traditional climbing, big walls, Mm -hmm. pre-climbing, but not, um, climbing was pretty simple.
0: So kind of segueing into that, like your story of bolting one of the very first sport routes or was it the first sport route in Smith?
1: Well, at Smith, it was, Smith was the first, uh, place in the United States, the first sport crag Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of looking back at it, you realized, okay, well, this was the first, this is the first place. And I was the only one doing development back then. So yeah, I did the first sport climbs uh, in the United States, not calling them sport climbs. It was just, I saw these routes that had to be climbed and I knew that I couldn't climb them, you know, from the ground up, putting in bolts and it was almost nobody climbed there. And I, I just, it was the routes that just kind of forced me to yeah, break the rules and, and start bolting. And I didn't care. I knew it was not what was done. It wasn't accepted style in, you know, Yosemite or in Colorado or whatever, but I didn't really care. It's like, this is just my little home, Craig, nobody's here. I just want to climb these routes.
0: That's kind of cool. I've heard a story. I was listening to like Alex Honnold's podcast, uh, climbing gold. And I heard a story about like a couple who started doing the same thing in Vegas. And it's like, people were like, what do you mean you're putting bolts in? Like, you can't, like people would be like, you can't do that. And like, and uh, you know, I think it's, I don't know. I always find it kind of funny that people would tell you that you can't do that. Cause that seems like very counterintuitive to the very nature and the spirit of climbing in general. It's like, well, it's not about what I can and cannot do. It's about like, you know, how can I just get up this wall and not trash the whole place, but at the same time, like how can I just get up this route or get up this thing? And I did, I always saw, I always found that funny that people would just immediately tell you, like, this is not how things are done. When yeah, I'm sure that same conversation has been happening forever. When people started putting in passive, you know, like active and passive hardware, people
1: were like, no, you can't do that. Sure. So, yeah, any, any change, people tend to resist. And fortunately for me, Smith Rock was so isolated just in the middle of nowhere, nobody really went there that nobody, there was nobody to tell me no. And mm-hmm. you know, there was nobody saying, Hey, what you're doing is not cool. You can't be bolting or you can't be hang dogging was a big thing where you'd <laughs> hang on the rope and it's hard to imagine now, but if you didn't, you know, traditional style, you, you fell off, you lowered down, you weren't feeling the hold, you weren't, you know, figuring out the sequence you'd lower it off and then pulled your rope and started all over again. So what I was doing at Smith Rock, it wasn't like this, that radical of a thing. It was just common sense, See? but it wasn't until I was traveling. Cause I still travel a lot to Yosemite mm-hmm. and, and I did their, you know, I was doing their routes and it's one thing I never expected is when you can repel bolt stuff and start, uh, you know, hang dogging and working on them as boulder problems, really. Mm-hmm. It makes it safer and you can push yourself way harder and I was getting good for, cause for a couple of years, I was like the only one in the U S who was sport climbing. Everybody else was trad climbing. And so I just got, I got pretty good and I was going to Yosemite and I was doing their hardest free routes. And it's like, these are not that hard. And that's when, you know, yeah, they're not that hard, but you know, you're not really doing them because you're, you know, you're cheating. You're, you're falling off and hanging and figuring out moves. And it's like, well, yeah, but I red pointed it. I put in, you know, I put in all the, the gear and, It's like, it doesn't matter. You know, you still cheated. Oh, So that's, yeah. And so then that's where the, um, if, if I had just stayed isolated at Smith Rock, if I hadn't actually become a pretty good climber and went elsewhere and started doing some of their hardest routes and even some routes they hadn't done before, nobody really would have noticed, but that kind of created controversy.
0: I could see that. Cause yeah, if you're just showing up calling, ha- like, you know, hang dogging, putting together moves, figuring things out. And then eventually you come down and like said in the whole thing, people are just probably up in arms about the whole thing. And also, you know, climbing is an inherently selfish sport sometimes. And a lot of people's egos in. I can imagine that like just set some people off.
1: Oh, it set people off. It was hard to, I mean, it was really uncomfortable. Some of the conversations I'd have. Um, did you ever get into like any conflicts or altercations almost? I had people in my face yelling at me and, you know, with spittle flying out of their mouth. I mean, really mad. Wow. Yeah. But I, um, by that point I I was pretty confident. I mean, I knew there was something, I mean, I had an ego too. And it was Mm -hmm. like, you know, whatever, you know, I just did, I did your hardest route. And (laughs) so just (laughs) that you're still working on. And so it was just like, I, I don't really care what you say. And, um, you know, it was kind of a heady time where I just, it was like, this was working. Like, I, I don't, I, I didn't see that this was going to lead to something in the future. And there were going to be other sport climbing areas. Again, we didn't, somebody else came up with that name, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I, I didn't really imagine what would come um, in the future. It was just kind of self-motivated. I want to climb these lines and I want to get as good as I can get. So what, Very was, simple. The, what was the name of the first route that you just bolted? I bolted something that came to be known as Watts Tots, which was right next to a climb called Tater Tots. Uh, so that's where the name came. It just rhymed. And, Watts Tots. And then there's tater-tots. a, and. but a week later I did chain reaction, which is this overhanging a rat, short, a rat that is, I mean, pretty much everybody has seen a picture of it. I mean, rumor has it that was the. Inspiration for the Cliff Bar, the rapper on the Cliff Bar.
0: Oh, yeah, that's kind of what it
1: looks like. So, yeah, yeah, one of the most photographed routes in the world. And pictures of that, a picture of that climb with me on that climb, got into a mountain magazine in England, which was at the time the probably the biggest climbing magazine in the world. And so all of a sudden, there was international exposure for Smith Rock, and people started to started coming. Off. It went, you know, it was went from there being almost nobody there to the next spring after all these magazines came out. I I remember walking down through the park and there were probably 50 climbers and I walked from one end to the other and I realized I am the only person speaking English. So that was like, just, it happened so quickly. Wow. That, that blows
0: my mind. I was expecting for you to just like, yeah, there's 50 people over there. But like when you said only speaking English, that's, That's kind of cool. Like the first real explosion of that whole area, it was not Americans, but it was foreigners coming over and just
1: like I mean, the Americans came too, and they- But but, not as much, I'm assuming. Well, they still came. I mean, there were probably, there were more Americans, I think, than came than foreigners, but the fact that it was in European, it was in European magazines. Climbing was bigger there. It was just a bigger sport. It it was. And... Yeah. So and and they were coming over and they were better than we were. I mean, the first five fourteen was done a route that I had worked on um, in nineteen eighty four, but it was done in nineteen eighty six by Jean Baptiste Trebou, a French climber. Mm, so um, that name. Yeah. So it, and again, once you know that route's done, and then there's five fourteen, and there's all these five thirteens and harder and harder and harder routes. Eventually, the the voices in the traditional areas that were saying, no, you can't do what you're doing. They just disappeared, disappeared. And and you started to have climbers who were uh, previously traditional climbers kind of step over and start sport climbing. And then now it's the only, it's just people who are interested in history, like relatively ancient (laughs) history now know the story about how that all unfolded. But then that led to, you know, there, there were the whole sport climbing movement kind of, Led to first off in Europe, climbing competitions that were outdoors. I went to one in, um, in the Pyrenees in 1986 and Mm -hmm. competed in the rock masters in Arco in 87. And, um, it just kind of took off and then the gyms and, you know, it all kind of grew out of sport climbing, but it just grew these directions that are, um, you know, it's, it's, There's no way to say that, you know, starting sport climbing in the United States, that's why gyms happened, but it played a little role. It was like, it didn't really, gyms didn't grow out of traditional climbing.
0: No, I think, I mean, I think sport climbing and bouldering are quintessentially the reason why gyms exist really well, because the barrier to entry to sport climbing and bouldering is so low to just get into like monetarily and really what you've got to do. Like, like I remember my first trad rack, I bought, it was all Metolius about the whole thing from them, but I had to spend like $500 of my own money that I saved up in my entire tax return to get my first rack. Oh yeah. And, and I didn't even have a rope. I just bought the rack. And then I was just like, there was a buddy I knew who sport climbed and I was just like, yo, yeah, can I'll teach you how to track climb. If you can use your, if we can use your rope. And he was like, do you even know how to track climb? I'm like, I know how to track climb more than you. So we'll just figure it out.
1: <laughs> You know, and back it, that, then that's kind of what we all did. We all just figured it out. Yeah. And, uh, so, and that's wild. So, okay. So if we can
0: back up just a hair, how did you actually get into rock climbing?
1: My dad climbed. Okay. He, he climbed mountains and he actually did a couple first ascents at Smith Rock, uh, the year I was born. Okay. 1960. So he, um, he didn't really climb at Smith Rock very much. He mainly just started, you know, he was climbing in the mountains doing the, the Oregon Cascades. Mm-hmm hiking up the volcano, the volcanoes there. And so I was, I think I was eight years old when I did my first 10,000 foot mountain that was, so that's just kind of what the family did. Mm -hmm. And Smith Rock, I knew it was just, you know, it was 20 miles away. We visited every, you know, it's a place where we'd go for picnics or hikes. There were pretty much no climbers But since my dad climbed, he subscribed to a climbing magazine back in the 60s called Summit. It was like the Mm -hmm. only climbing magazine really in the United States. And he had books about the conquest of Everest. And I just started looking through the magazines. And when I was 10 years old, I started actually buying some climbing gear. Like not even just like this is something I want to do. So by the time I first visited Smith, I already had a rope. I had a harness. I had a whole bunch of gear. I just didn't have any way to get there because my dad wasn't climbing at that point. Okay. And so I met a person in in high school who was older and he had a copy of Royal Robbins' book called Basic Rock Craft, which every climber used back then. And I went up to him and I, even though he was older, I got up the courage and it's like, hey, you must be a climber. And he's like, yeah, I've climbed at Smith Rock and you ought to come along. And so- anyway, that's how it started. Okay. It was very I, hard to get in climbing back then because there were no gyms, there weren't classes. No, you had to meet someone or you had to like know the guy who knew the guy who had, the had paper to be cop. A, Yeah. There had to be a, a connection. And i yeah. with my, with my dad and just being close to Smith rock. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the way it unfolded.
0: Yeah. I'm happy. It's not that way anymore. Oh yeah. Very, no, very much so. Cause it was, I think also too, cause I kind of came into it. It wasn't quite that way, but if you wanted to go outside, it was still that way a little bit. And even in Texas, it was kind of a little bit of elitist. And I never really, it never really jives at me, but I like wanted to learn and I wanted to go out. And I remember the people who taught me in the beginning, like, I'm really grateful what they taught me and I'm really grateful. That's it. And then I remember very shortly thereafter, I started taking courses at the AMGA. And then like that just like opened up my world of like, oh, there's a lot more.
1: And that exists now. And back then it really just didn't. And so It was, there were so few climbers. It's hard to even begin to comprehend that there were so few climbers that even when I was climbing and climbing hard and, you know, doing the hardest climbs in the United States, people would ask me what I did. And I I, I wouldn't say I was a climber because I'd always get that like, what? You're a climber? Like, why? What do you, it didn't even mean anything. So I I would tell people I worked in the outdoor industry. Yeah, that makes sense. Just to shut them up.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes (laughs) a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, my mother for a long time, always thought I was crazy what I was doing, working in a rock climbing gym. And then one year she did my taxes and she was like, oh, you actually make money. (laughs) I was just like, mom, what do you think I do? She was like, I just thought you were just being a bum. (laughs) Right. She was like, you know, like don't all climbers just like smoke weed and just do hippie stuff.
1: My my dad kind of, he understood it, but my mom did not like it at all. She was really disappointed. Oh, really? That I was, Yeah. Cause I had dropped out of school and remember I I had a conversation with her and one of those conversations where she's like, Alan, you need to, we really need to talk to you. We're really worried about you. And I'm what's, what's going on? My mom said, you have no goals. You have no drive. No, um, you know, no dedication to anything. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I I have more goals and I'm more dedicated (laughs) and I have more motivation and drive than anybody I know. Like look at my lists of routes that I've checked off and it's like, well, no, no, that's not, you know, (laughs) that's not what we're talking about. That's not going to lead anywhere. And so it is funny. Wow. Just again, it's just how the way that climbing absolutely exploded because nobody now will You know, if you say you're a climber or you work in a climbing gym or own a climbing gym or whatever, or, you know, nobody is going to question it. Question that. No, no, no. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, it's a respectable industry. Yeah, I
1: think there's still parents who maybe wish their kids were doing other things. Um, I mean, it's like. Maybe, but there's always going to be that. It's like that. uh, I can't. Is it Bob Wills or.
0: I can't. Or Willie Nelson? It's like, don't let don't let your daughters or sons grow up to be cowboys, have them be yeah. doctors or lawyers. Yeah. Willie Nelson. Yeah. Willie Nelson. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the song that I always think of in my head when <laughs> people are like, I just want to be a rock climber. And like their parents come up to me and I'm a coach and I coach kids who are sure. living and their parents are like, does my child really have like a future to this? And that song always pops up in my
1: head and I'm like, you've listened to this one too many times. And Yeah, like, it is. And for me, it, it, I, like when just having climbing in the Olympics, I streamed, you know, I was up at four in the morning or whenever it that, I streamed, I watched every, was, every moment of it, it was amazing because I had, I had just started, you know, I'd met Adam Andre at Smith rock and I knew he was competing and we became friends. So I, I was, I had never really watched them before. And I was just, I could not look away. I watched every, every minute and it, it was just like the coolest thing. Like, wow, somehow, That moment changed the world of rock climbing. Somehow this sport that I was, you know, I played a little role in, you know, the development of it. And that decades later that it's, you know, now it's in the Olympics and it's, it's legit. This is a real, this is a real thing. This is, this is cool.
0: I remember watching that as well. And I was like, literally I sat there, I was just looking at it. I'm like, rock climbing is forever different. Like at this exact moment, like, and I remember going to uh, practice to the kids that I coached and I was like, you guys don't understand this statement and maybe when you're older you will, but like how many of you watched the Olympics and rock climbing and almost all of them raised their hand. Like, yeah, I had to get up super early. One kid is like, I recorded it and I watched it. And I was like, you are watching the changing of history. Like, and they're like, what? And I'm like, the only way I know how to describe it is it's like watching the formation of a new country or watching the formation of something amazing. Like, this is the, a pivotal moment in climbing history and it is. And I don't, and like, you know, I think we'll see the true fruits of it in the next five to 10 years, but that moment, I'm happy that you brought it and up. Having that.
1: the Olympics in Paris and then in, in Los Angeles, it is, it's changing. Yeah. And It's, it's going to bring a, a lot more exposure. It's going to be, it's
0: yeah. Climbing gyms are about to explode. And so with that being said, I mean, they're already growing, exploding, you know, I've heard, you know, we briefly mentioned this yesterday in passing when we were talking but like how do you feel or how are you helping your community manage like w- what people in my community are sometimes calling the, um, like the coming swarm of people that are just going to be exploding into the climbing industry, exploding into the outdoor industry. Like, how do you feel about that coming up?
1: Well, it's, yeah, it's happening. It's, it's happened. It's been happening. Because again, when I was climbing at Smith Rock, a lot of times I'd be the only car in the parking lot all day there were no climbers. And so I've seen it grow. And, you know, there's a part of it. I have uh, some mixed feelings, but then again, I know it's, it's not about, um, if, if, if right now, if nobody was interested in, in, you know, the old history of climbing or it's like, oh yeah, I remember climbing, whatever happened to that sport, you know, it would have just been a a fad. I still would have loved what I did, but it would have been sad, you know, that like, wow, that's too bad. That didn't make it. So for me, the fact that it has made it, I can totally put up with the downsides, the overcrowding and, you know, it, it's, it can be frustrating not being able to get a parking spot or waiting for a route or having, you know, a group of kids on your auto blade of your project you're trying to do at the gym, Mm -hmm. but it's fine. It's actually great. I mean, just how it's, um, become something that, you know, I loved it and so many people love it now and, um. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I, um, I have involved, I'm very, I've I've been involved with the state parks in Oregon, uh, to working on climbing, you know, since, oh, for the, since like the 1980s to kind of help the, um, you know, because we don't, I didn't own, of course, the land I was climbing and developing. And so I had to have a relationship with the park managers and we had a really good relationship that it's worked for all these years. So it's, it's been pretty important, but now, they're doing a new master plan and you have to, you know, you can't ignore the fact that it's um, the climbing has become so popular that there's times and places where you need to get reservations like to do El cap or something. I don't think you can just go up there and no. climb it anymore.
0: I uh, no, I think they, they just initiated a permitting system or some kind of system recently. Like I remember reading something, there's something that changed about the Valley. Like, yeah. cause there's so many people. Yeah, that and, just and, and,
1: and so um, yeah, that's too bad. And, and it's something has to, I mean, that makes some sense that they have to do it. Yeah. I um, mean,
0: that place, especially for iconic places, I'm, I'm being a big fan of like going to places that are off the beaten path and that's it. And like, you know, and I get that, like those places are nice and still exist, but your iconic places, yeah, you are going to have to wait. You are going to have lines. But I also think that, you know, and like, I know someone's going to hate me for saying this and I I just don't care. But like, at the end of the day, like it, it's a good problem to have because it forces us to think in a grander, it, it forces us to stop thinking about ourselves and climbing and start thinking about our place and our role within the sport and within the community. And like, okay, like how are you gonna manage this? How are you gonna mitigate this? Like. It just can't be cowboyed anymore. Uh, no, just, and that's
1: a totally, you, if you look at it any other way, if you still have the cowboy approach, um, it's, you, it's can't, you can't do that anymore. No. You actually, like, I don't want, I always said I don't, you know, I spent my whole climbing career outside at Smith Rock kind of trying to dodge the Rangers and, you know, not going to ask them for permission. Like, hey, do you mind if I rep, rappel down and hammer in these bolts and use chalk? And I just, like... Just did it, yeah. you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's funny the way that, um, you know, at this point though, you have to, I was uh, going to be doing something at the climber international climbers festival in, in Wyoming. Oh, nice! So are you I'm, going this I'm, year? Yeah, I'm a keynote speaker and I'm hosting this, um, Hill to Craig event where you're working with local politicians, you know, land use managers, that sort of stuff. And I, Tommy Caldwell has played a real role in that. And I've, was just talking to him the other day about how do you, how do you do that? And, but you kind of have to, you have to, I'm somebody who's not been very political and not very interested in all that sort of stuff. But I feel like I have a responsibility now to, to be involved because I'm kind of an elder. Yeah. I mean, I been now in, in you, the world of climbing,
0: I mean, your voice carries a lot of weight and I mean, just like with like your repertoire alone, your voice will carry a lot more weight than even someone like me. Who's like, I, I want to come up. I mean, I've been in the climbing industry for a long time, but I haven't been in it long enough for people outside of this climbing world, outside in a political world or in a political spectrum to probably even hear what I have to say, but between like you Tommy and people who have been at this basically since the dawn of it starting in in a more commercialized way. Right. um, You know, I think like you, you just that I can see why you'll carry a lot of weight. And I'm honestly happy that you do feel that it is your responsibility because I think a lot of people would rather just sit in the silence and just sit back and be like, well, it's not the way that I want it to be anymore. It's not happening the way I want it to happen anymore. And so I'm just, I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm not going to do anything. And I, I'm just, yeah. gonna
1: and I kind of went through that period when I left climbing in the late nineties and I kind of had like, okay, that was great. That was fun, but I'm kind of done with it. I had injuries that were limiting me and then I just realized I missed the climbing, but I missed the people more than anything else. And so now getting back into it, I, I just love talking about climbing it with, you know, it's, I just love talking about climbing and I would rather, you know, right now I was just telling a friend last night that I was um, you know, I, I, when I was in my twenties, the last thing I wanted to do was stand in front of a crowd and talk to people about climbing. Mm-hmm. And now like one of the last things I want to do is stand in front of a crowd and actually wa- have people watch me climb. Cause I'm not, you know, I don't, <laughs> I got injuries and I'm, I'm getting old and, but it, I'm, I love talking about climbing. I love speaking yeah. and talking about climbing. So that's, um, it's just you, your physical skills, you know, you, they diminish over time, but then your, your wisdom and just your ability to connect with people, at least in, for me, it's, it's, um, grown. it's grown and that's not going to diminish even if I, again, I don't, um, Going to the climbing gym and doing, especially the boulder problems, some of these new modern boulder problems that you kind of are jumping into. It's like, no, <sighs> They're no,
0: different. it's different. Yeah. <laughs> it's so different. I coach it for a living. And I can't tell you the kids that are all the time, they're like, how do you do this boulder? I'm like, well, you do this, this, this. And I can get up and do some of them. But even then, sometimes I watch the kids do, and I'm like, I do this thing. And then I always, like, every once in a while, I'm like, all right, I have a theoretical boulder I want you guys to try. I'm like, just, 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 just humor me. Listen. And then they do it. And I'm just like, and another coach will lean over to me. And he's like, did you think that was actually going to work? I'm like, I don't understand the physics of what they just did. I'm not going to lie. And I just told them to do it, you know? And yeah, but it's, it's what happens. You know, and this is where climbing is going. It's getting so, like competition climbing is just, it is so incredibly complex that, like I was telling a parent about it and they're like, what do you think is going to be the difference for kids in competition climbing? And when they're moving forward, is it going to be stronger? Is it going to be this? I'm like, no, it has nothing. I don't think, uh, strength is a part of it, but it is going to be the kids who are, who are quick-witted and who can, can critically think fast because the right. decision making, you watch some of these boulders, yeah like they're literally launching up, pressing, flit, spinning in the air, counterclockwise, grabbing on something and then still doing all of the stuff at
1: once. Yeah, it used to be you'd do a move and then you'd, you'd look set ahead up. and then you'd set up and you do the next move. And now it's just like, bam, bam, bam. There's a whole sequence that you have to read and control your body swing and, and everything. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's really so, fun to watch, but it's a whole, it's so different that it's, I know it's still my sport, (laughs) but it it is, it is evolved so much
0: that it's. I think that's the thing is the nice thing is, is like, and we can honestly say indoor climbing and outdoor climbing are going two entirely different ways. I do think the skills from indoor climbing are applicable to outdoor. And I, and I don't think as many outdoor skills applicably transfer over to indoor climbing, but they still do benefit each other a little bit, but they are going two separate ways. And so in that way, like I know you're operating within the indoor climbing ethos is most of your advocacy work or your work you're doing for the climbing industry as a whole indoor and outdoors, or do you find yourself really what you are trying to do is talk about
1: outdoor climbing? You know, it's, it's, I do more talking about outdoor climbing just cause that's my background, but I am a client. I, Right now, if I describe my climbing, I I I just I'm a I'm a gym climber. I go indoors. I climb in gyms. The, the routes that I'm trying to do, they're they're routes that are there for six weeks or two months. The green route, and yeah. you know that's that's what I'm doing. And so since I spend so much time in gyms, and people, you know, people will eventually figure out. Oh well, you're the one who you know did this or that. And so I meet a lot of people, and even in that context, I have a lot of I have a voice and. um so, yeah, I, I feel like more I, now I'm, I'm, it's, I can't just say, no, I, I focus on outdoor climbing and indoor climbing is just this new thing that I don't, you know, really support that much. I mean, I'm, I'm a gym climber and it was a change when I realized, wow, there's people who actually get really good, like boulderers or something who never actually even climb outdoors. Yeah. And at bolden- first for a while, that kind of bothered me. And now anymore, it's like, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's just, and it's totally legitimate. It's just the, the, the more our sport grows in different branches off in different directions, that makes, you know, it's an Olympic sport. Why do you need to, no. you don't need to go outdoors. You no. don't,
0: you don't have to, you
1: are you correct. Know, I remember like watching in a world cup, uh, some Japanese climbers and there there was a hand jam that they didn't, they didn't know how to hand jam. And Adam Andre was there and, you know, he had just been like, you know, doing the salafé and, and it was just it didn't look. I mean, I think it was just a hand jam. It was a hand jam. I thought, you don't, yeah, that folder was if you famous. Don't know how to do a hand jam, um, and so you could easily say like, "Oh, these these guys, you know, they can't even hand jam." And but no, it's just why would they? You know, no. now of course, once they that's a technique they have to learn, then of course they get. Oh, now they know. They know, and they get better than you know really fast. But it's so legitimate, just the this new angle of climbing. So yeah. I, I I'm a spectator, but it's I I just truly enjoy watching it. Uh,
0: you just made me realize, um, Have you? did you see the adjustable crack on the kilter kilter wall down there? I've heard about it. It was the wildest thing. I went and pressed the button and I was like, I want a fist. And then I pressed it and I made it into a fist and it was like just blowing my mind. It's downstairs. So on the On the big giant kilter
1: board. The big giant one. Yeah,
0: all the way in the back left-hand corner. You see that thing that looks like almost like a barrel on the side of left of it? That's an adjustable crack that you can make as wide, as small as you want. And the bottom half of it can be one width, and the top half of it can be another width. It's like-
1: no, blows my mind walking through like the kilter like yeah. those boards are just it's like this new thing that i didn't really know much about and now it's like oh my, my god, god this is yeah
0: you realize like i bet you in the future in the next 10 to 15 years there's going to be completely modular gyms where you can be like this month all the walls are this angle yeah but like, there's
1: a there's a gym in bend now that is just it's uh, i know there's several around the country country that are just board-based gyms and so all they have is kilter boards and moon boards. And some of those, you know, they're, I've heard about this. They're small, but they don't, you don't need a staff. The the one in gym in Bend is open 24 hours a day. And (sighs) you just have your little pass, you you know, you get in the door and you, you have your app with the, you know, it's, it's a great model because you don't, it's, you know, to rent that space is pretty inexpensive compared to a full climbing gym. And, you know, it's, it's not for everybody, but for people who are more serious climbers, it's a, it's a great way to go. I mean, yeah. if I had the space in my house, um, and the money <laughs> in my bank account, I would, I would definitely buy one of those Yeah, things.
0: No, there, it's a dream thing that I want in a home. I, you know, you said something a few moments ago that kind of like really like touched my heart and it made me super happy to hear, uh, you know, from one generation <laughs> to another, it's like, I find that like a lot of older people, it's either, they're not psyched on gyms. They're not psyched on gym community or it's just, it has to be one or the other. And the fact of the matter that you're kind of embracing it and just loving the communities that are in the gym. Cause I think that's one of the things that I like the most about indoor rock climbing gym is the communities are different. They're very different than, okay. I don't think they're that different than an outdoor community, but they are in their own right. And I think it's just, it's, it's really cool cause the level of psych that people just have to be in the gym and just climb. And they're like, man, this is my thing. This is, I'm doing this, you know? And if those people ever get the gumption to just go outside, then their whole world just explodes. And then they just like light up. And so it's this really cool thing to watch. Like you almost get to watch like the birth of two people happen. You know, it's like they come into the gym and they're like, this is amazing and they're climbing everything and they're having a field day. And if one day they get to go outside and then they climb outside and you're with them, then all of a sudden they're like, you've been having this and you've been holding out on me the whole
1: time. (laughs) You know, and it's funny, but the, and it works the opposite way. Where you where you really? climbed, yeah, you've climbed outdoors for, for years and decades. And then you go into a modern gym and it's like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing. <laughs> so it works both ways. And a reason I've, I mean, I've had the experience I've enjoyed, I truly enjoy climbing gyms. But another reason why I didn't, I got so much crap from people being a, um, with starting the sport climbing thing and, and you know, people not liking what I did that I just decided I am never going to be that person. I'm never going to be, you Let's know, when, when climbing changes, I'm not going to be the person saying, Oh, well that's not the way we used to do it in my generation. Mm. And because, you know, I, it would be hypocritical to do that. Cause I know that I was m- creating waves and, and I wasn't especially well liked. And, um and I've found it's just a way better approach. Cause if I would have had the attitude about climbing gyms, like, yeah, that's not real climbing. I would have missed out on just the wonderful hundred, I mean, I've made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trips to the climbing gym. And I actually, you know, to be honest with you, I look back now for the routes that I've done in the last five years that I'm proudest about, they're all gym routes, (laughs) 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 you know, the green route and the blue route and the black route. And, you know, but that's, it's just, it's, I have arthritis in my fingers. Smith is really crimpy. You can go to climb, you know, for a couple hours. It just fits into my yeah. life better. And I've already done the outside things so much that this is just this new world that I, I love. That's awesome. I,
0: I, I, like I said before, I, I think it's unique and I'm, I'm honestly extremely appreciative of it because I find myself sometimes even with people in my, my own age, you know, creeping into early forties, um, you know, and a little younger than me, like, it's just like, there is still this kind of like occasional, like I don't know whether they're called elitist or what mentality, but there is this mentality where it's just like, it's gotta be one or the other. And I'm like, I, and I don't know the world just in my, in my opinion, like the, that's not the way the universe works. It's not this or that it's, it's not one or the other. It's like, there are multiple truths and m- multiple things can coexist at the same time and space. And I, I'm happy to know that cause like, especially like with you, it's like, like, I would be remiss, if like, if you didn't like it, because I'd be like, you have such a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of understanding of like, what your relationships are, like park rangers, communities, just climbing and just sheer all just like, you know, I would say like climbing common sense of just like being in the environment a lot. Like you're quick to see things, you're quick to notice things. And you're probably quick to see like, Oh, I've seen this wave happen before. I've seen this kind of attitude happen before, you know? And it's not, I'm not necessarily saying like, you're the police when saying like, like, okay, we shouldn't be doing this, but like, you're able to advise, you're able to give counsel, you're able to do that. And I think not having that and people who have been in this sport, whether it's indoors or outdoors or wherever you are, but if you've been in this in a while and you're wanting to just like gatekeep all that information, like in the long run, you're really doing a disservice
1: yeah, to the no, community. I, I, I agree with you and in, in climbing for me, if I think back to what climbing was in the seventies when I started and what it is now, climbing is a better, it's a better sport than it is Mm. than it was back then. Even doing, starting the sport climbing thing, the critics were saying, well, no, that's, that's, that's cheating. That doesn't count. And all I was saying is, no, I'm not trying to say that trad climbing and crack climbing shouldn't exist. Just there's room for another Mm. branch on the tree. And Mm, so now, it is branched in so many directions that I never ever imagined and continues to go in directions. Just the adjustable, you know, the crack thing that you were just talking about, and all of these, these, you know, these walls that tilt and move and, you know, it, but that's, um, that's made the sport overall just way better. Cause it's not like one new thing. It's not like, Oh, well now there's adjustable walls. So you can't really, you know, gym climbing kind of goes away or (laughs) sport climbing, everything still exists that was there before. It just adds. It just adds to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I saw a modular climbing wall. It's not something that can tilt, but you can actually like shape the angles of the wall so it can be smooth, S-shaped, bulgy, this. And I remember the first time I saw that and I was like, what in the world is this? And it was at that moment that I realized I agree with you. I'm like, there is so much room for this sport to grow um, in a way, in a professional standpoint and an industry standpoint, I just, I guess one thing is I'm hoping that like the community and like the community, the efficacy, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but like, I'm just hoping the community grows in the same pace or keeps up with it or is growing in the same way of like bringing people into the sport and making it more accessible.
1: Yeah. And that is kind of our responsibility. I mean, the people that have been climbing. I mean, it's your responsibility and mine and and any of us who have been around a long time because people do, you know, we're more mentors right now than, you know, Mm. cutting edge climbers. Um, so, but that's a a really important role. So, um, and I, but I, I don't know. I, it seems to me like that is getting addressed pretty well. It's not like the new climbers that are coming into the sport are just, it, it, I'm always just amazed. They just seem to be like a lot of really good, nice people, like people that I just, whether they're, They're I have friends that are 15 years old that I, you know, exchange texts with it's like, Hey, I did this route and you know, that sort of thing. And it's, I don't know. It's, it seems like it just something about climbing attracts a certain type of person and it weeds out some people that just, I mean, climbing's hard. It's hard work and it can be scary. And, and, you know, there's just something about it that, uh, it's almost like a litmus test that to get through and, and actually be a climber. You have to, um, I mean, you have to push yourself. You have to, you have to really want it. It's, yeah. not, it's not just a, you know, just feel good, mm-hmm. sit back and do nothing and just have a feel good experience. It's, it's kind of hard.
0: Yeah. I think, the, I think you're spot on. I think the community does do a good job of not so much like weeding out, but also helping people grow. Cause the reason why I say sure. this, is I'm reminded of a kid that started rock climbing in our gym years ago. I never coached him. He was just a kid that refused to be coached, but he would come into the gym, lose his temper, scream and yell, kick the gym. And it was never me or staff. It was members that I would always go up to him like, hey man, like, can we kind of help you and do this and kind of work? And then like, he's a
1: different person. Yeah, now. and no, you're, it's a good way to look at it because it is it is helping them grow. It's not weeding them out. And it's like, oh, well, you, you just don't have what it takes to be a climber it, you know, you have people that are really rough and, uh, you know, and then they grow and they, and then a lot of these people, I mean, I remember climbers, you know, that are now fairly old climbers. And I remember when they were 15 years old and they were the people that I was saying, Hey, you know, that fits you through on the rock and screaming. And, you know, you need to just calm that down a little bit, yeah you know, (laughs) but now they've grown into, uh, you know, they, we all do that. We all, we all have things, you know, in our In our past that we look back and thinking you know that wasn't that wasn't me at my best (laughs) (laughs) well uh i want to
0: thank you because i don't want to take too much of your time and uh i definitely would love to visit you out in um in smith rock and out in your neighborhood in the wood and it looks like i saw on the sign rolling by it looks like next year's cwa is going to be in your hood
1: yeah it is and i'm trying to get involved with the show And I will, yeah, yeah it, you should definitely. I will come. Um, I, I, I would will be, I would in, be honored to take you out to Smith Rock or whatever. Oh, and that would be so much yes. fun. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll be so <laughs> psyched. And then if
0: there's anything I can do to help you, you please let me know, because I just saw that up on the screen. So I'm gonna, in a minute, I'm going to text message my boss, May 17th through 19th, I need off.
1: Yeah, that's. Um, no, that I was really happy to Yeah. To see that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, but if people want to find you and support you, uh, buy your guidebooks, buy anything that you published, or anything like. Where can they do to go that? Where they? Where can they go online to do that, or in person?
1: Yeah, I, I haven't really had much of a presence. I do have a website uh, now called WattsRocks.xyz that's just kind of getting developed, and mm-hmm. where I'm hoping to tell stories and and um, just it's my kind of my connection to the mm-hmm. the new generations of climbers. And uh, I'm not on any social media at this point, but that will probably come. I just kind of missed. Missed that whole thing. And now it's easy to do. Don't worry. You'll catch up fast.
0: (laughs) Okay. And then I guess, is there anybody you want to give a shout out to say hello
1: to or anything like that? I don't know. I'm just, for me, it's, I'm grateful for just everybody ever, all all the climbers, uh, the whole community. And I can't even express it enough is how, you know, as I get older, I know I am not going to be, um, lonely, As long as I'm, you know, if I can take my walker into a climbing gym or down to the Craig or whatever, you know, they'll always be community for me. And that's, that's what I'm most grateful for.
0: Well, I'm extremely appreciative that you have decided to like take ownership over this and take ownership over climbing like you, like you did taking ownership and having drive and discipline when you were explaining to your mom that you are super disciplined with all these routes and everything that you've done. And it seems like you've transferred that same energy over to the climbing community. And as someone who has spent a big portion of their career coaching young people and traveling to gyms, just to see what like, like I'm just used to living in a bubble and I know the world doesn't exist and I've gone to things. I would say your mindset and your dedication to this is not as common as you think. And I hope that anyone listening to this podcast would understand that, like, we all have a responsibility and we all should step up and do it a little bit. I'm not at, you don't have to be the biggest cheerleader in the room but you do need to just be willing to give someone like a high five. And that's generally, you know,
1: badass. and I, I recognize as I get older that really I uh, cli- I need climbing still more than climbing needs me. Oh. I mean, I still need, I need climbing. I need that community. And, and so that's why I'm, it's, it's not just purely like trying to be a good person by being no, involved. No, I get that. A lot of it is I just, I get so much out of it. Yeah. Just doing this podcast with you has been wonderful.
0: Well, thank you for your time. And I appreciate you. <laughs> All right mr alan watts dropping nothing but love and gratitude and joy to be in this sport which we all love thank you so much for listening to sends and suffers podcast and if you are listening to the very tale of this and you're a real one then know that i will be dropping short little segments of me talking about my time in Malawi coming up with Genevieve Walker Liz and Scott this thing was an amazing trip and I am so grateful that GCI was able to put this together and organize this whole thing and if you don't know what GCI is make sure you check it out I'm rambling I'm going to get out of here as always remember if you're not suffering you got to ask yourself are you really even sending at all I mean is it worth it
1: Welcome on